Hello, and welcome to the Delaware Bible Church Podcast, a weekly podcast where we try to do things, talk about things that equip the saints for the work of ministry. Welcome, I'm your host for today, Pastor Scott Teedy. I'm the senior pastor of Delaware Bible Church, and I'm flying solo today. Pastor Brad is is away. He's on quarantine because he uh, he got a case of COVID-19. Thankfully, he's recovering nicely. But in doing so, he exposed much of our staff to COVID-19. Thankfully, I was coming off my own bout with COVID-19. I was coming off quarantine about the same time everybody else was going on quarantine. And so God in his providence providence has allowed that I'm doing the podcast today. And um, as they say, when the cat is away, the mice will play. And so I'm going to do the podcast today. I'm doing it, going to do the best I can. Uh, Pastor Brad is not here to produce it, so I'll do the best I can. The topic for today is is one that is not without controversy in the Christian world. It's the topic of psychology, and um, I I am going to hopefully have what I I'm hoping will be an honest and humble conversation about psychology. Now, why do I bring this up? Is because Psychology is kind of the air we breathe today in 2020. When anybody has a problem, we immediately start throwing out psychological terms. Oh, that person has issues. Uh, that person uh, needs needs to go see a therapist. That person needs to um, get some get some help. Um, these are all kind of psychological things that have just been wired into our into our culture. And um, you know, what we'll talk about is that. You know, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What kind of a thing is that? And how does that square with God's Word? So I hope to have an honest honest conversation, a helpful conversation today, because, you know, as my my job here as a pastor is to help to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and I've found that many folks in adopting psychological thinking and not critically comparing that psychological thinking to the Word of God They've gotten themselves into some trouble and got snarled up in some of their own problems. And I, and as someone who is trying to help equip the saints for the work of ministry, I want to free them from those, from those problems and for those, for those, from those entanglements so that they might be free to serve the Lord and honor him with their lives. And so I want to, I just want to talk about psychology for a little bit today. Now, don't hear me say that all psychology is bad. It's not. There are some branches of hard psychology. I call it hard psychology. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting this akin to the hard sciences and the soft sciences. You know, the hard sciences are the ones that you can replicate <clears throat> replicate in the laboratory over and over again. For example, the tensile strength of steel. You can, you can measure that and you can replicate that for a particular alloy of steel over and over again in the laboratory. It's a hard science. Then there's also soft sciences. Soft sciences depend more on observation uh, and statistical analysis and subjective measurement tools. You're not measuring something in feet and inches or pounds or or pounds per square inch of pressure. You're measuring it in, how does this make you feel on a scale of 1 to 10? How would you assess your happiness today on a scale of 1 to 10? And, And then taking those those survey results and and making statistical analysis. Those are very subjective and and are subject to the particular mood, environment, and and a whole host of other variables that uh, a person is facing that day that they filled out the survey. And so it's hard to control. And and so we call those softer sciences because those 
<clears throat> those those quote unquote sciences cannot be uh, quantified as much. Interestingly, I picked up a book recently at Half Price Books on uh, Robert Frost's poetry. Robert Robert Frost is arguably the greatest poet America has ever produced, and I saw an interview with him online as I've been looking through some of his poems. It was an old black and white interview, and he was old. He was full of years. And um, in his experience, he sat down to give an interview. And he said this. He said, there are some things in life. It, we, he, he was lamenting that one of the problems of this life is that, there, that that everything that we're going through, we try to make a science of it. And he said, there's there's some things that that are going on in this life. There are things about this life that you just can't make a science of. That's, that's the way he put it. You can't make a science of. <clears throat> and, um, boy, that got me to thinking about how we interact with psychology from time to time. I wonder if psychology is one of those things that we just can't make a science of. Human behavior, uh, people with um, behavioral disorders and so on, if, if we, it, it's harder to make a science of those things. Now, again, I know there's lots of folks out there that have, that have studied this. That most undergraduates, I believe, have to take a psychology class for many of the disciplines out there today. So let's just, let's just talk about it. I want to compare today the, these different models of psychology with the Word of God. And let me just say this. Um, unlike some of the harder sciences... Uh, where there's one right way to do things, or there's you know there's one way to get a certain result. Psychology depends on uh, different psychological models. What what does that mean? It means it's a model is kind of an approach to help people with their behavioral problems. How we there's different models of how we view people, how we view their problems, how we view the solutions to their problems, and so on. And I want to let you know, in case you don't know, that there are some. 400 or so different psychological models that are popular in the literature today. Now that should, I don't know what it does to you. For me, it shocked me a little bit because, you know, whereas there may be a few ways to treat, for example, someone who is, uh, you know, having an inflamed gallbladder that needs to be, that needs to come out. There may be a few different approaches to, to, to get that gallbladder out. There's not 400, right? There's not 400 approved or uh, ways that the scientific community, the, the medical community, accepts to get that gallbladder out. There may be only a few. But in the psychological world, there's 400 or so ma- uh, major uh, psychological models that are in, the, that are, uh, in literature. And so, and so psychologists have not yet honed in on uh, one way to help people with their problems. They're coming at it from very different ways. And so all I want to do today is I want to compare some of the major psychological models with what the Word of God says. And you can judge for yourself whether you want to put your trust in psychology or not. So let's look at them. First of all, we'll start with Sigmund Freud. You're probably most familiar with Freud. Uh, you know, he's, again, he's made his way into popular, the vernacular of our, of our, of our day today. Um, if someone says something uh, strange, we might say it's a Freudian slip, right? Uh, Freud lived from 1856 to 1939. 
And let's just go through a list of how Freud thought about man and his problems. For example, Freud thought that man was an instinctual animal. He he drew heavily from the work of Darwin in the uh, you know the uh, origin of the species, and since that was breaking at the time, he adopted that, and so he he viewed man as an instinctual animal, and. In his mind, he viewed man as having an id and a superego. The id was kind of the spoiled brat part of us, or the, the part that's lust-driven. You know, we want what we want, and we want it now. The superego was more of the the moral code of a person. Okay, so so Freud viewed man as an instinctual animal who had an id and a superego, a lust-driven part and a moral driven part, morally driven part. And the problem that Freud saw with human beings is that there's a conflict between the id and the superego, right? That the id wants to do what it wants to do, and it wants to do it now, but the superego is saying, now wait, you can't do that because that's not socially acceptable. That's not, that's not biblically acceptable. You know, whatever, whatever one's uh, moral code was informed by, the superego and the id would have a conflict. Now, here's where it gets important. In Freud's mind, and by the way, this is this is true of uh, many of the psychological systems. In Freud's mind, the problem or the responsibility, the responsibility is not that man. It's not your fault. You're acting out. You're having a behavioral disorder, but guess what? It's not your fault. Now, I just right there, I hope you will see that that is in direct contradiction. When we, when we do things, when we say things that are wrong, that are sinful, in a biblical understanding of the world, uh, God holds us to account for that. It is our fault. We, we are responsible for our actions. But in many of these major psychological systems, the disorder is not attributed to the individual. That's a problem. That's a big problem. That's night and day difference from what the Word of God says. And if we buy into that narrative, if we buy into that model, so to speak, well, we're going to get into trouble. Let me, let me finish up Freud. In Freud's mind, the tr- his, in his model, the treatment of the problem is to free the id and decide with the id and to weaken the superego. You get what I'm saying there? It's to indulge, to get on the side of the lust-driven side of a man and weaken his moral code. In other words, whatever it is that you want to do, do it. Don't worry about what your moral code is telling you. Don't worry about what society says. Don't worry about the word, what the Word of God says. If you want to participate in some activity, then do it. That's that's problematic, right? For us as believers, that's a problematic view. Now, where would where would Freud lay the guilt for the problem? The the Freud would lay the guilt on some source. It's your mother mistreated you, your father mistreated you, society mistreated you, and then they would he would shift the blame to that source, right? And, and, and label that guilt as false guilt. That's not guilt on you. That's on, that's on your mother. That's on your father. That's on whatever, whatever the source of the problem was, that's where the guilt would be laid. Freud uh, 
put together a system where he had, you know, his model was to have people lay on the couch and uh, tell them all their problems, starting with their childhood and so on and so forth. And so the the, the symbol that oftentimes uh, goes along with Freud is the symbol of a shovel. You're digging deep into someone's past to try to get at the problem. Now, I hope that you can see that, that this model, this what we call depth psychology of Freud, is completely different than what the, what the Word of God says. The Bible, for example, uh, says that man is not an instinctual animal. Man is actually created by God, created in the image of God, created to please God, but that he is a fallen sinner by his own choice. A man sins. And the responsibility for that sin, which is missing the mark of God's perfection, the, the, the responsibility falls on man. It doesn't fall on somebody else. It's not somebody else's fault. It's your fault. The guilt is real, and it's the result of displeasing God. It's the result of sin. The treatment, the treatment that is given in the biblical, in the biblical uh, model and the biblical understanding of life is to is to be justified by faith. In other words, be forgiven of your sin through Jesus Christ, and then to grow and change and become more like Christ, something that we call progressive sanctification. This is the solution. And we do that focusing on the Word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit that takes up residence in our lives, and we focus on the facts. What is happening? What am I doing? Is what I'm doing sin? Yes, it is sin, then I need to confess it, I need to repent of it, and I need to turn away, and I need to walk in a new way of life. We deal with our guilt in the biblical, in the biblical understanding. We deal with our guilt by dealing with the sin in our life and then respond biblically, respond godly in a godly way, according to God's Word. And unlike Freud, where the counselor has to be an expert, Really, in the biblical way of understanding, anyone can counsel who has a thorough understanding of the Word of God, who, who is themselves growing and changing, becoming more like Christ. In other words, you don't need a, a paid counselor, a trained, a trained expert. You need someone who is familiar with the Word of God, who is themselves growing and changing and becoming more like Him, so that they can skillfully take the Word of God and help apply it to problems. I hope that you can see that there is a world of difference between Freud, Freudian psychology, and the Word of God. And so the question I have to ask is this, is this is just one of 400 models. I, I'll mention a couple more before I wrap up, but, but if these two ways of thinking are so far apart, how can we possibly blend the two to help people with their problems? They're, they're antithetical to each other. You know, I, I, call, I, I put psychology kind of in this category. Imagine uh, human beings are incredibly complex creatures, in our, in our, not only in our bodies, but in our, in our minds and in our behaviors, our emotions. And so I want you to imagine trying to fly a jet airliner, but you have to learn to fly it without the instruction manual. You have no idea. You have no instruction manual. You just have to kind of get on board and you have to kind of move the levers and turn the switches and knobs until you figure out how it works. Well, aircraft today are comp are very complex things, very complex machines. They have systems and GPS to help them to avoid terrain and 
to, to keep you from being able to stall the aircraft by pointing it upward, you know, too, too much, pitching it upward too much without enough thrust and all this kind of stuff. And so you, you could get on board and you could move the levers and move, turn the knobs and you may be able to get it off the ground and you may be able to fly somewhere, but you're never going to be able to fully figure out how that aircraft works until you have the book that was created by the one or the ones who designed that aircraft. And folks, the same thing is true of the Word of God. We Psychology is stumbling around. They're on board. They're trying to figure out by turning the gears and turning the knobs and pulling the levers. They're trying to figure out how a human being works. And they're coming up with models. Again, 400 of them at this point. They're coming up with different models that are not consistent with the Word of God. It's no wonder that there is a lot of failure and a lot of folks that have to be in lifelong therapy in a psychological model. Let me just mention a couple other models. B.F. Skinner lived from 1904 to 1990, and he came up with the model of psychology known as behaviorism. You've probably heard of it, behaviorism. When I was a kid, I used to uh, watch this TV commercial, and the big TV show at the time was Dallas. And uh, J.R. Ewing, you know, who shot J.R.? That was a big, it was a big deal when I was a kid. Um, there was a season cliffhanger, I think, about J.R. getting shot. <clears throat> And Larry Hagman, the guy that played J.R. Ewing uh, on Dallas, uh, was a smoker. And um, he had quit smoking, apparently, by putting a red rubber band around his wrist. And every time he had the desire for a cigarette, he would snap that rubber band and inflict pain on himself. And in doing so, would, according to the model, retrain his brain to not want cigarettes anymore. Now, for a certain percentage of the population, uh, that worked. For others, it did not. So B.F. Skinner viewed men, uh, human beings, as conditioned animals. They, they were born a blank slate, and they could be conditioned. And he, he saw the problem. Uh, Freud, you know, saw the problem as a conflict between the id and the superego. B.F. Skinner saw the problem as an environmental failure. He, he put a lot of stock in the environment in which someone grew up. Now, now, I don't know about you, but I have known people in my life personally who were abused sexually as children, and they went on to leave, lead happy and productive lives. And I've known other people who were sexually abused as children who grew up to, be, to have very much difficulties. What was the difference? What was the difference? Well, you know, in, in uh, Skinner's view... Uh, both of those environments, you know, roughly equal, both being abused sexually, but one succeeded and one one went on to uh, a happy, productive life and the other one went on to some failure. Why, how do you explain that? Well, the, pro- the, the problem is, is that you, you, we're not single variable creatures, right? We're, we're very, comp- we're like that jet airliner where there are so many variables going on all at the same time. And we just can't boil it down to one. Anyway, his, he, Skinner thought responsibility for man's problems is not his fault. He thought that guilt was not important. And that he thought that the treatment for someone who was going through a disorder was to restructure their environment. If we could restructure their environment, put them in a good environment, get a, give them positive reinforcement, we could fix them right up. And in terms of the way he thought of guilt, 
He just thought, let's just change the standard. We'll change the standard of what is right and wrong. Folks, if that's not unbiblical, I don't know what is. Change the standard of what's right and wrong, and therefore you'll help someone feel better about themselves. Well, that's behaviorism and and B.F. Skinner. Uh, There's one other psychological system I'll talk about, uh, third force it's called, and that that was um, put into place or thought up. That model was arrived at by Carl Rogers, 1902 to 1987. And he thought that, you know, whereas Freud thought that man was an instinctual animal, Skinner thought that man was a conditioned animal, Carl Rogers thought that man was basically good, basically a good person, and had great potential within. But they needed to mature like a flower. And the problem is, is that their environment often hinders that maturity. Again, the responsibility does not fall on man. It's not man's fault that he does anything wrong. It's the it's it's different, and and in his mind, guilt was not important. In his mind, uh, the treatment was to help someone realize their potential. The solution would come from within. Just needed to focus on feeling better. Carl Rogers, you might be familiar with um, the the type of psychological thinking that goes into a scenario where you see someone looking into a mirror and giving themselves daily affirmations. You know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Those kinds of things. Uh, that's what uh, that's what Carl Rogers would have had, would have would have counseled folks to do. In order to deal with guilt, he would just say you have to get comfortable with yourself. You have to get comfortable with yourself. Now, again, I say all these things not to be super critical of psychology. I say all these things as an encouragement and a warning to us as Christians, right? Um, We need to reach an understanding of life, of our problems, of the solution to those problems through the Word of God, not through a secular psychological model. Now, again, some psychologists have done research that's, that's very helpful for us to understand the brain, neurochemistry, how things work, so on and so forth. But others in psychology have arrived at models just by their intuition or just by their own hypothetical, you know, they, they throw out a hypothesis. And then folks have constructed systems of psychology around those hypotheses that are not grounded in any kind of truth or any kind of objective reality. You know, when I, when I get a medical condition, like the flu or COVID-19, when I got COVID-19, I had a fever that I could measure with an instrument called a thermometer. I had uh, sinus pressure that I could feel. I had some coughing and some, some um, sneezing and, and, you know, so on and so forth. I had a headache. Uh, those are things that I could actually feel. Those were real things. I could measure the my temperature. I could, you know, th- those were things. And, and, and there were things going on in my body that were causing those things. What the psychological world has attempted to do is to carry that kind of thinking over to our mind, our soul, and say um, that not through any fault of our own, but perhaps through our upbringing or our our environment or or a whole host of other variables, we turned out the way we did, and it's not our fault. 
and I just want to invite you, I just want to invite you that that is, if, if, if it's not our fault, if, if we don't have any control over our behavior, then that's, it's very hopeless. It's, it's a very hopeless prospect. We, what, what are we facing then? Years of therapy to try to little by little, brick by brick, build ourselves into a healthy human being? It seems quite hopeless to me. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. The good news is, is that the Bible describes us as people who are made in the image of God, not animals, not folks that are beyond um, any kind of personal responsibility. We are responsible for ourselves. We're made in God's image. We're given creativity. We're given the ability to think and reason. We're created by him, and he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could put off sin. He defeated death and sin so that we could put off sin and we could put on righteous living. That power is accessible to us through the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. You get the idea. I find that that many Christians don't embrace that understanding. They don't they don't practice that understanding of life, and so they spend a lot of their life suffering under a false psychological set of principles. And I want to invite you to think about that. I want to invite you to, to, to ask yourself the question of where do you stand in terms of your understanding of psychology, your understanding of man and his problems. And I'm using man in the generic term to represent mankind, men and women. Again, go back to the illustration that I gave you of the air, of the uh, jet airliner. We are very complex creatures. And the only one that knows us well enough to know, because he created us, how we should be operating our lives is our God who has given us his word. And so when the Bible says things like, thou shalt not lie, bear false witness, whatever, then, then understand this, there are, there are mental and perhaps even physical consequences to our health as human beings, to our well-being. When we defy what God has clearly said and we choose to lie anyway, that's called sin. And it has an effect on us. There are, there are spiritual, mental consequences to gossiping about someone when the Bible clearly tells us that that's not how we're supposed to use our speech, we're supposed to use our speech to build each other up, not to tear each other down. And so these things that the Bible calls sin, that the world, I, do you not understand? Do you not understand that oftentimes in a psychological setting, a counselor, perhaps even a Christian counselor, will give a, a person, will, will advise a person to do that which is exactly contradictory to the Word of God. Oh, it's okay. If you're going to hurt their feelings, then just tell them a lie. Just tell them a lie, and it'll be fine. No, brothers and sisters, we have to understand that there are consequences to understanding what the Word of God says, understanding the owner's manual to this life that is found in the Word of God and defying it. I think I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I will I will just say this. I have a hope, I have a desire, I have a goal that many in our church 
would come to a deep and under, a deep and meaningful understanding of the Word of God. They themselves would be folks who are growing and changing, becoming more like Christ. So that when we do encounter folks with problems, we can turn and help them with those problems. Not send them to a psychologist, not outsource them to someone, but to, to help them within the church with their problems. I don't think we're there yet. But here's the good news. In, in the fall of 2021, you know, uh, every year around February, we send a group, a small group from this church to Lafayette, Indiana, to Faith Church in Lafayette, where they receive biblical counseling training. They say they receive biblical counseling training at the exact same place where I went to seminary. I went to a Faith Bible Seminary. And this year, through much work and much planning, in the fall of this year, in 2021, this coming year, Faith Biblical Counseling Training is coming here. It's coming to our campus. Yes, Delaware Bible Church. We are going to be inviting our teachers from our school and all of you to come and be a part of that. Yes, there will be some cost involved because we it's going to, we're going to have to bring them over, put them up in hotels. There's going to be reading material and all kinds of stuff. But I want you to start praying now. It's going to, this is going to be in a, in a Friday night, Saturday, all day format, three weekends over three months. Okay, so it's going to be three different Fridays and Saturdays. And this training changed my life. This training absolutely opened the door for me to understand how to help people with their problems using God's Word. And so I want you to begin praying. Even if you're not someone who thinks that you can counsel, this training is good just to make you familiar with the Word of God and how to use it to help people with their problems. So I would invite you to begin praying now about being part of that training in the uh, in the fall of 2021. Again, I think I think this is going to be in September, October, and November, one weekend in each one of those three months. And yes, you might have to miss an Ohio State football game. You might have to watch it later. But I promise you, if if this has the same effect on you that it did on me, it will change your life. It will change your perspective, and it will help you in your own personal sanctification process as you grow and change and become more like Christ. I'll end on this. This is a season, this is the season of Christmas. Christmas is next week in Ohio. And um, this is a time that we should be filled with great hope because the one who could break the power of sin and death, Jesus Christ, came into this world, born an infant, laid in a manger, so that we could have the power to grow and change and become more like Christ, so that we could have peace with God through the forgiveness of sin because Jesus grew up, lived a perfect life, something we could never do, and then died on the cross for our sin. Folks, we of all people have enormous amounts of hope that we can overcome the problems that we face. I pray that 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 you will embrace that reality and walk in it. Well, I think that's all the time that we have for uh, the podcast today. Thank you for listening. Uh, Our website is www.delawarebible.org. May God bless you this Christmas season. Bye-bye.